0: You are back to the Speaking and Communicating Podcast. I am your host, Roberta. If you are looking to improve your communication skills, both professionally and personally, this is the podcast you should be listening to. Today, I am joined by the best-selling author of The Power to Speak Naked. He is a former stunt master. We're going to have to find out more about that. And... <laughs> He is a keynote speaker, so he's here to share with us a lot of tips to master, if we want to have speaking careers. And he's also a father, a husband, which is, please help me welcome Tyler. Hi.
1: Hi, Roberta. It's a joy and a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks for being here. I'm excited about our conversation. I was very intrigued. First of all, let's talk about the Stuntmaster thing. I want to know, you know, did you work with like Schwarzenegger, to move <laughs> with Tom Cruise? I want to know. No
1: so here's the funny thing i actually have worked with the governor but not in film and television i actually have been on stage with him at a power of success event where he was the keynote presenter and i was working the event so i actually have worked with arnold schwarzenegger but not in film and television which i think is is quite a
0: terminator
1: (laughs) yeah i have met him and don't call him the terminator you were to address him as a governor Okay. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger, not any of the other things. It's very specific about it. And mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, when you've won an election, you have the right to ask that you be addressed with your proper title. But <laughs> he's a very, very interesting and very charismatic man. I really enjoyed the time that I got to meet him. And and I actually may be speaking with him again later this year. I'm just waiting to hear back from the event coordinator.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. How did you get into being a stuntmaster?
1: So I got into stunts. To be clear, I'm an actor who does stunts, not a stunt performer who acts. I started in theater when I was six years old, very, very early on. And I was blessed to grow up in and around the arts. I went to a fine arts high school. Before I even graduated, I had moved out to Vancouver, which is the Canadian version of Hollywood, and was performing in film and television at that point. So I got into film and television in my later teens. I did that until my mid 20s after 20 years retired. (laughs) So, because, you know, that's what you do after a 20 year career. But my later teens and early 20s, I knew a lot of really cool stunt professionals. My first agent when I was in Vancouver represented a lot of stunt performers, working around a lot of the stunt guys. And every once in a while, if I was the right fit, they would ask me if I would come and do some stunt work. So I got to work with some of the top professionals in the business and some amazing, amazing people who allowed me the freedom to do some really cool things because i know some really good stuntmen i would never consider myself a stuntman i'm a performer who does stunts but i got to do cool ones like jumping out of a six-story window i got to do a sword fight with one of the top sword masters of of his generation before he passed away richard Ferracci. and
0: so when you do that job that means you are not afraid to die when (laughs) we see tom cruise doing it he's not really doing it it's tyler doing it so what your insurance is everything is on point if
1: Well, here's the funny thing. Tom Cruise does his stunts, and he's very, very adamant about it. No, me doing my stunts, I am terrified to die, which is one of the reasons why I do do stunts, because stunt work is actually the safest job that I've ever had. I'm a trained safety professional now, and so I know what is and is not safe and help other people discover what is and is not safe and... Safety is paramount when you're doing stunts because nobody likes it when uh, Hollywood production is splashed over the news about how they've killed somebody. So the stunt work is really interesting in that it is the purest form of substitution. When you're looking at it from safety, they call it the hierarchy of controls. And the thing that you want to do above anything else is eliminate any hazards or dangers. And if you can't eliminate them, then you want to substitute in something less dangerous. From there, you have engineering controls, administrative controls, and then personal protective equipment. And what's interesting about stunt work is it's a combination of all four of those control measures where you're substituting in somebody who is trained more than what the typical actor would be to come and do that particular stunt. And you have multiple stunt professionals who specialize in various things. Like I specialized in high falls. There are other stunt professionals who specialize in
0: getting out of bed. Burning cars or something.
1: So burns is one, and then cars is another. And if you have to combine burning cars, that's a whole other specialty. And yeah, gunplay, sword fights, martial arts, all of those things, they have their own specific and unique specialities. So it's a really interesting and fascinating thing to get into.
0: Were you married when you started this job?
1: No, I married late and had children even later. It's funny because my wife has never known me as Tyler, the actor. When we met, I was actually working for an airline and we met in an airport. I had retired from acting and was going back to school. So she knew me as this airline guy, entrepreneur, engineer type. Uh, recently that I've actually gotten back into film and television that she's gotten to see some of the stuff that I've done we've gotten my daughter into film and television as well so that's been interesting for my wife to see that side and full because she's heard about it like all of my family and friends know me as the actor because I've been doing it for so long
0: mm-hmm. yeah so as exciting as this sounds the next question is how did you move from this to boring public speaking <laughs>
1: Well, so first of all, I don't think public speaking is boring. I think it is fun. <laughs> I think it is so energizing. Of the
0: people I coach, they might think so, but curious, sorry.
1: Well, and, and that's the funny thing. I think if you have that vision of it, I think it's more a reflection of you speaking than it is of what public speaking is itself. By you, I mean the clients who think that. The thing about public speaking is it it can be boring, but it's because we know boring presenters and you can be incredibly fascinating and compelling. And public speaking is something that we've been doing for eons to communicate with each other. If it truly was boring, the message would never have landed. But for hundreds of years, you had town criers, you had philosophers, you had like everybody at some point needed to communicate. And it was long before the literacy rates are what they are. So like we needed people who could public speak because that's how we got our news because we didn't have television or radio. Even in my culture, back
0: in the day, you know, with the village, they'll have the king, but he'll have his right hand man doing the speech and gathering the villages together and they hear what he has to say. That was public speaking.
1: That was public speaking. It's one of the most purest forms of communication that humanity has. And uh, I got into it because it just seemed the natural progression. You know, you go from acting and then I went back to school and, and got an engineering discipline. And then I started my own business and Uh, First business, unfortunately, collapsed, but in trying to marry what all of my talents are, I discovered that through my gift of being able to speak on stage comfortably, I was able to communicate ideas and teach and educate. My father was an educator. My grandmother was an educator. So teaching is in my blood. And then I have this performance side of me that I've been passionately chasing since six I'm almost four decades into performing on some form of stage. And now this is just that perfect opportunity for me to use all of my talents in a way that is meaningful. Because one of the things about being on film and television and stage is, you know, it's fluff, right? It's entertainment. Yeah. I mean, people enjoy it, but it's brief and it's fleeting where if I can teach somebody something, you want to feed a man, you teach them to fish. You don't give them a fish, right? Mm -hmm. I really want to let people evolve and change and have a little bit of impact that way. So one of the things that I love the most about speaking is, is you can have impact beyond the one-on-one. You can do it one-on-many. If you have a really good message and a really good lesson, you can have tremendous impact Mm -hmm. in the world.
0: Right. You are so not the avatar of engineer that I'm used to dealing with. I started working with engineers in the nineties and you know, the socially awkward is brilliant, but quiet. And therefore when they are promoted to leadership positions, suddenly the guy's like, I'm not supposed to talk to people. I just want to program. I just want to do my cat drawings. How did your personality of all things decide to study engineering?
1: It's been really weird because, again, I have this real arts-centered part of my personality. And I love performance. But one of the gifts that I got being in stage and film and television very early on in my life, when you're doing that kind of work, particularly when you're young, there's a whole bunch of rules around how long you can work and what needs to be in place when you work. And one of the things is they need to provide time for your education. Oftentimes, I would have like a private tutor or an educator who was working with me while I was away from school and doing some of these projects. So I got unbelievably good one on one attention. Plus, The school district that I grew up in was one of the top ranked school districts in the country. So just from pure happenstance of geography, gifted one of the best educations I could have ever gotten publicly. So I had some of the top educators in the country who were invested in my education. Plus, I got private tutoring. So I was always very scholastic. Plus, being the son of an educator, especially when my father passed away, I was only six years old. So that really had an impact on what I did with my life and some of the drive that I had behind what I was doing. I didn't ever want to be a disappointment to his legacy or his memory. So I have this hybrid of, particularly in the maths and sciences, I love, I love math. I love the purity of math, right? There's no ambiguity with it. Those are the things that I like. I'm somebody who enjoys metrics. Like even in my speaking, I like to know the impact, but I like to be able to measure it. That's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why you and I were introduced on PodMatch. And one of the reasons I love PodMatch so much over other services that will introduce guests to hosts Mm -hmm. is that Podmatch actually has metrics. I know how many social followers I've gotten, how many downloads I've gotten, how many episodes I've been on, what my ranking is, how many five-star reviews I've received. All of those things are important to me because I'm... Yeah, I love the analytics. I love the science behind it. I don't fit in with engineers, but I also don't fit in with the purely artistic types either because they're very... No, no, tell me. me Yeah, yeah, give me give me the numbers. It will work itself out. Yes, but how will it work itself out? Come up with a
0: plan. That's the math.
1: Yeah. I understand the engineering mind. And one of the things that I found and why I've been so successful is my initial course that ended up becoming the book was developed from me teaching exactly what you have described, somebody who has been promoted into a supervisory or managerial position who just wants to do their job and all of a sudden has this additional responsibility of having to lead a team or speak to people or promote a product or whatever that they don't feel comfortable doing, because that's not what they do. They do this thing and they do it really well. They program or they design, they draft. This is it. This is what I do. Don't make me do this other thing. And their resistance to this other thing is hindering them in so many ways. I would rise through various organizations very rapidly, not because I was the smartest, because I wasn't, not because the I... The this
0: podcast, it's not the smartest that get promoted. promoting. No,
1: it's the people who appear to be the smartest because they're the most articulate and most dynamic in the way that they speak. I wanted to share this gift with some of the very, very brilliant people around me. And so I started teaching this as just kind of like a side gig. And it grew more and more. I'd have executives who'd reach out to me. They'd be like, well, what did you do? This team over here, they're excelling now. The presentation was the best presentation I ever saw. And I'm like, oh, well, it's because I've been working one-on-one. Well, can I, will you work with me? And the next thing I knew, I was working with executives and C-suites. And now I found my really happy sweet spot. And that's working with female entrepreneurs who have a social component to their business and or charity directors themselves who are having a hard time getting their message out about why they do their thing. Because mm-hmm. they've gotten into this passion project and it's expanded exponentially, but they don't know how to go beyond that. They don't know how to tell people about it because now they're thrust into this leadership position and they're like, I just want to do my job. I don't want to have to speak about it. And it's the not speaking about it all that's hindering presentations
0: them. presentations and people management. Yeah. yeah. Is that how the book came about?
1: It's exactly how the book came about. I had put together this training presentation, which initially we called basic instructional technique bit, because it was designed for engineers. And the engineers loved their app. Good
0: one, yes, bit. Yeah.
1: So it was bit. And they realized it was public speaking 101. They panicked, but (laughs) bit. Basic instructional technique. It was a quick introduction into some very simple ways of getting your message across, being able to lead presentations, be able to give very basic speeches without getting bogged down with memorization and because I strictly abhor memorization. And this is coming from an actor who used to have to memorize scripts. I think the best presentations are structured. I was I need also to have structure.
0: when I used to teach in South Korea. I said, don't memorize. You're going to forget.
1: Yeah. So I had done this initial course. Again, being an actor, I always film everything be asked to do more keynote presentations, to do more workshops, to do breakout sessions at these various conferences that I would speak at. More and more people would ask if I had a book and I was like, no. And it was starting to limit and hinder me because a lot of these organizations would want books so that they could then sell it or promote it or say, you do this thing. So I ended up taking my training course and all the video that we had from it, grabbing the audio from the video, transcribing that audio, and then compiling it into the book. So the book is basically my two-day seminar in written form with a little bit more context to it so that because the people won't be able to do the exercises that they would be doing in the course. So we've created links on QR codes so that they can go to the website, download the material and work on it themselves. Right.
0: When I first saw your book title, which by the way, listeners, it's called The Power to Speak Naked. When you approached me, I said, one of the podcasts, I said, I'm not sure if I want to speak to the guy because he's my problem. I don't want this thing of advising people to picture their audience being naked. If this is what he wants to talk about, I don't want to talk to him. I really detest that piece of advice. Tyler, please tell me that's not your book. (laughs)
1: Nope, not the book. (laughs) As you know, it's actually uh, the opposite of. I too think that the worst advice you could give somebody is to picture your audience naked. Your audience is a sacred gift for one thing. So you're doing a disservice to your sacred gift by diminishing them. Further, it's a waste of brain power. It's an unnecessary mental exercise when you have so many other things that you need to be focusing on, particularly your audience. So no, I do not promote that. And as you and I had discussed, I would rather give somebody the power to speak naked than to ever picture their audience naked. And by that, I mean figuratively. I believe that everybody has a story to tell. You have no idea the impact that your story could have until you tell it. You don't know who needs to hear that. And I want to empower people to feel so confident in their message that it doesn't matter what they're wearing, that they could go wearing the emperor's new clothes and nobody would notice because the words that they were using and how they use those words would be so compelling and so engaging and so captivating that the audience wouldn't even notice and that they would have such confidence in themselves and their message and what they were doing that they wouldn't care. We don't need all the fluff. I want people to be able to give a raw naked presentation so they don't need the PowerPoint. They don't need props. They don't need audio visual. They don't need lighting. They need an audience and the audience needs them. And that's all they need. And an audience is two or more people. One person is a conversation. Two people is an audience. I want people to be so in the zone that they don't care, that they don't need it, that they can just give that presentation from the heart and have people truly engaged with them. And then the root of the title is that I strongly believe that the thing we're afraid to say is what our ideal audience needs to hear. And so when I say the power to speak naked, it doesn't mean literally taking your clothes off, but it means figuratively stripping yourself down to the raw naked truth and having the bravery and the courage to share it in the way that it needs to be shared with the audience who needs to hear it. That's really what the nexus of the book is about.
0: Being vulnerable because that's what's going to connect you with your audience.
1: You with your audience and your audience with you. Yes.
0: Most people, they don't believe their lives are interesting enough for them Mm. to have a story. What would you say to that?
1: I say everybody has a story and I can prove to your audience in under two minutes that they have at least five. What I want your audience to do right now so only do it if you are not driving in a vehicle. If you're listening to speaking and communicating while you're driving, it'll be hard to do this. But you can do it as a mental exercise. Just pay attention to the road. But when you're home, if you get a chance, you know, re-listen to this episode and grab a pen and paper. Take your age, however old you are, and round to the nearest five. So as I'm 42 right now, I would round down to 40. Okay, so I'm 45. At- Now you're going to take that number and divide by five, right? If I'm Mm -hmm. 40, divide by five, I'm going to get eight. Whatever your number is, those are going to be the time periods that we're going to divide your life into. So five even time periods of X number of years. Mm -hmm. And now what I want you to do is for each one of those time periods, for me, the first time period being zero to eight. I want you to think really quickly and don't overthink this. You have less than 10 seconds. If I told you your first time period, whatever it is, 0 to six, zero to eight, zero to 10, 0 to 15, what is the first memory that comes to mind when you think of that time period? Whatever it is. And this could be a sound. This could be a smell. It could be a color. It could be a vivid memory or it could be a hazy feeling. Whatever it is, when you think of that first time period, what is the first memory that pops to your mind? And I want you to write it down. And then I want you to do that for each subsequent time period. And you should have five distinct memories that come to you. And we all have them. We all have them. Sometimes you have more than one. Sometimes it's a struggle to find the one in the one time period, but another time period has more. Write down what comes to mind instantly. 10 seconds, 15 seconds, tops. If you have to think more than that, you're overthinking it. In doing that exercise, I guarantee you, you at least came up with one thing. And that one thing is your story. The five things are your stories. The key to this exercise is not the quick, simple math of discovering that we actually have the story, the real exercise and the work comes after that in the exploration of why, why does that memory stand out to you? Why is it so significant? Why is it important? Why is it when you think back to that above any other memory that you have, that's the one that floats to the surface. That's the one that sits on top. And when you explore that why, that will start to inform why you do the things that you do, why these things are important to you. From that, you can start to explore the lessons. Who were you prior to that event? Who were you during that event? Who were you after that event? What did you need to know? What did you know? What did you learn? What did you need to learn? What could somebody else learn from that? And in exploring that, that becomes your story that you then tell to other people to inform them about what they could learn from what you learn. Even if you have the most boringest life, you're talking to an engineer.
0: (laughs) Who was a spent man. (laughs) But that's exactly
1: it. I was just at my 25th high school reunion and there was a gentleman that was always off during high school and a lot of guys picked on him. Later, we didn't know at the time, but he was on the spectrum and he was always quirky. And his thing was he would play with a yo-yo. Everybody would bug him for using this yo-yo. Well, one of the girls remembered this about him. And one of the girls said, hey, do you still play with yo-yos? And he goes, yes, because it's his coping mechanisms. It's how he deals with stressful situations. It's how he deals with life. And so he pulls out this titanium custom-made yo-yo and he starts doing these tricks. Well, he has spent the better part of two and a half decades mastering this thing. He was spinning it and they flipping it around and everybody was mesmerized by this. They're watching him do it. And he's like flinging it back and forth and up and down and catching behind his back. It's his zone. It's his genius. Fascinating. And if that's his only one thing, that's yeah. his only one talent. It's still amazing to see. And so he can talk about flipping yo-yos and amazing things that he does that I don't even know what they are, but he explains it and he knows and he, he loves it. And he talks about it with a passion and enthusiasm that just bleeds out. And you're like, yeah, hey, that's cool. And he entertained us like it was a Cirque du Soleil for like a good 20 minutes. We watched oh, him spin this yo-yo around.
0: That's his home. Yeah. And so anybody can find that in their lives. So everybody has a story.
1: You know, Les Brown says it better than I ever could. Never tell a story without a point, and you never make a point without a story. We illustrate our world how we see it through story. Mm-hmm. It's how we communicate, it's how we understand each other. And it's through the power of story that we gain sympathy and empathy because they say never judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, I can't walk in your shoes, Roberta. I'm sure I would look fantastic in them because you know, walk do, in heels. <laughs> I can and do look good in heels, but it's still, you know, literally quite hard for me to do. We're physically distanced and we I don't know that you have my shoe size. The fact of the matter is, though, it's hard for me to actually experience what you experience, right? We are diversely different in almost every way conceivable. Mm-hmm. But if you tell me a story about how you experience the world. I can see the world through your eyes, through your description. And when you tell me how your world looks to you, I gain understanding. And it's in that gaining that understanding that we gain connection. As I said, we gain our empathy and our sympathy. It's an old sales adage that stats tell, but stories sell. Mm. Well, if I need to be sold on your worldview, I need to see it through your world. So I need to hear your story.
0: Hence, they usually say people don't buy the product, they're buying you.
1: That's right the feeling that you give them.
0: I think when you were talking about the timelines, a lot of the stuff that came to my mind immediately, it was because there was a strong feeling associated with the experience at the time. Is that why we always remember those particular... Because I don't remember the whole nine years, of course.
1: Almost always a strong emotional charge. That's really what ingrains memories, right? Uh, Even when I was doing my acting and I was trying to memorize lines, If I just was looking at lines and just reading them and reciting them, Mm -hmm. you don't remember them. But if you put an emotional charge behind it and you understand how you need to feel through it, now all of a sudden there's context to the words and the words are easier to recall and remember exactly that. Your strongest memories are the ones that have some form of an emotional charge. The way that the brain wires itself, the stronger the feeling associated with it, the more synapses are firing, the more connections are being made so that your neurons are firing back and forth, back and forth. And now all of a sudden you remember all of these things, they become deep rooted and seated inside of your brain. You're able to relive that moment. And if told well, you can bring your audience on that journey. And that's really all storytelling is, is taking your audience from point A to point B and giving them an experience.
0: As they walk through it with you. What are some of the highlights in the book? What are they going to find in there that's going to help them become better speakers?
1: It's a lot of obvious and simple advice on mostly overcoming those nerves. Stage fright's a real thing. The fear of public speaking is not. And I try to dispel that myth right up front because everybody will say, oh, I'm terrified of public speaking. And I'm like, really? Have you ever ordered food in a restaurant? And they'll be like, yes. And I'm like, did you know your server? No. Let me get this straight. You went to a public place, spoke to somebody you didn't know and got delivered to your table a thing that you asked for. Is that correct? And they'd be like, yes. I'm like, okay. So you spoke in a public place. That's public speaking to somebody you didn't know. That's speaking to a stranger. You asked for food and it came. So you got what you asked for. So this notion that we're afraid to speak in public, that we're afraid to speak to strangers or that we're afraid to ask for what we want in the world is completely null and void. If you've ever been to a restaurant and had food come to your table.
0: Don't you always ask for directions when we're lost? That's right.
1: Well, no, because I'm a man, so I'm genetically pre-programmed to not feel the need to ask for directions. But my wife, being smarter than me, will make me do it. At some point, I'll be asking a stranger for directions. But we do speak in public quite regularly. Stage fright, however, is a real thing. And it usually stems from the sphere of public judgment. We're mm-hmm. afraid that when the attention is on us, that we will be negatively perceived. And so a lot of what the book goes through is those techniques to understand and believe in our core that the audience is on our side because they are. We are the expert because we are, because if we weren't, we wouldn't have the platform. Right. We don't ask second best to come and present. Even if you're being voluntold to give last quarter's sales statistics at the next boardroom meeting, you are asked because you're the best choice from your boss if they could ask anybody else, they would have. And so you are being chosen because you are the expert. Now your job is to just deliver. one of the other techniques that I talk about in the book is the fact that you don't have to talk the whole time. You can have a conversation with your audience. In fact, it's better to have a conversation with your audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done studies on engagement where if you're just giving a monologue, because I am now lovely diatribe, Tyler, your audience oh engagement goodness. is down 78%. If you have a dialogue with that audience, you go up to 92% engagement. And that's a significant increase just by having them provide input into the talk. So as an expert, given a platform, your job is to guide the conversation, not to dictate the conversation. So you don't have to talk the whole time. You can have other people chime in, give ideas. You as the expert get to either agree or disagree or guide it and say, no, that's a very good point. Have you considered this or have them support your point saying, yes, that's. And if you look over here, this is where you will see that supported. You know, those are the really good and true presentations. So I talk about secrets to engagement and re-engagement of your audience. If prevention is better than a cure. So we show you how to just not lose your audience. Right. But if you have noticed that they started to drift, how to bring them back. I talk a lot about pre-talk routines and what I do for my pre-talk routine and how to develop one so that very much like a high performance athlete, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. You're gearing your mind and body to understand that, Hey, it's time to take the stage so that your body wants to take the stage so that you're in the right mindset. A lot of the book is around mindset and breathing to be really, really honest and Mm -hmm. how that's into giving a very good and powerful presentation.
0: I believe Tony Robbins does the same thing before every seminar.
1: Yeah, he has. And not only that, in order to support his pre-talk routine, his writer is like three pages long of all the things that he needs If he's doing an event outside of an event under the Robbins Research International, if he's going and speaking like a paid keynote presenter, there are so many things that he asks of any event so that he can be at his peak and optimal performance so that he has the right mindset to deliver. Because I mean, he's a presence. I mean, not only is he physically gigantic, but he is emotionally and Mm. the energy, like even just me thinking about the times that I've been around him. Energizes me. Like you can't help but think Tony Robbins' presence, and all of a sudden you're
0: woo (laughs) woo. It's literally an electromagnetic field.
1: (laughs) It really is. Yeah.
0: Right. You have to prime yourself to be able to speak and then engage your audience. So, one last thing that people need to remember.
1: Yes. I have been on stage now almost four decades, and I have never given a perfect performance ever perfection is a fallacy, particularly in public speaking, but I have given some really good ones. Well, how do I get more confidence? Well, confidence comes through competence and competence has a legal definition, adequately qualified, suitably trained with sufficient experience to perform the task with minimal or no supervision. You're adequately qualified because you have a story suitably trained. Well, that's a matter of reaching out to somebody like Roberta or myself who have been doing this for a while and who you connect with right? Who you resonate with, somebody who you intrinsically trust to guide you on this journey. The third component there, sufficient experience to perform the task with minimal or no supervision. There are opportunities to speak everywhere. The first time you do it, you may not feel comfortable. The second time, you may not feel comfortable. 10 times in, you may not feel comfortable, but eventually over time, it becomes easier and easier and easier until you look back and go, how is it that I was afraid to do that? I want you to think back to either your first kiss or the first time you ever drove a car. How terrified were you just before you did it?
0: I used to you know? stop every time there was a truck coming truck and <laughs> my driving instructor right. said, like, "Roberta, why do you think he wants to hit you? Get over
1: it. Yeah, you know, you're terrified. You're terrified. You don't know what to do, right? Which pedal's which? You know, you have to think so hard about every little thing. Did I turn on the blinker? Did I not turn the blinker? Am I turning? Where is traffic? Where are the pedestrians? What's going on? But now you can just get in your car. You don't even think about buckling up anymore. It just becomes automatic. Get in, you buckle, you turn on the car, you look over your shoulder and you pull into traffic and off you go to your destination. Half the time you get there and you don't even remember what you did to get there. That's how you really master public speaking. So it becomes that commute to the office in your car. I promise you there are endless opportunities because again, 77% of North Americans claim to have this anxiety around public speaking, which means three quarters of us would prefer not to do it. And the people who are getting these leadership positions are the people who are raising their hand and saying, I will. You have no idea how different your life could be if you just raise your hand and be one of those people willing to take on that presentation, willing to create your own stages and tell people about what's going on. You have a gift somewhere inside of you. You have a passion and you don't know who else wants to learn that passion and start talking about it and start teaching it. The opportunity to speak is endless. That's why I actually created my Facebook group, Endless Stages, because I believe that the opportunities are abundant and limitless out there. The more that you look and seek these opportunities, the more they will come to you. And that will give you the ability to really practice and hone your messaging hone your craft, get the confidence through the competence and get the competence through the practice of doing it over and over and over again. And that's how you will become an incredibly powerful speaker. So start speaking.
0: It's like swimming. You're not going to learn it from a book by reading about it theoretically. It's something you just have to do. And that's how you're going to get better at it.
1: If I want to get six pack abs, I can't do it by watching the exercise video from my couch.
0: I have to get up. Uh.
1: Yeah. That's right. We're watching the governor do it. And the same with the public speaking. You want to get better at it? You got to be bad at it first. And trust me, I've been bad at it multiple times. And I learned from my failures just as much as my successes. And I learned from my successes just as much as I learned from my failures. And they are all part of my growth process. Right. And I'll, I'll never stop growing. So I'll never stop learning. And hopefully I never stop speaking. <laughs>
0: Better not, no. (laughs) We need more people who will inspire the rest of the population. Tyler, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for having me on, Roberta. It was a pleasure.
0: Before you go, please tell us where to find you on your socials
1: all of my stuff is located in a very simple way. It's all on my website. You can get to all my socials. You can get to all my speaking engagements. You can get the book there. You can join endless stages there. Everything is on my website and I'll tell everybody how to get there. But before I do, Mm -hmm. they're already on your platform. And if they're listening to speaking and communicating and they're getting value out of what you bring to them each time, Roberta, every time they download and they listen to an episode, They're doing it for a reason. And if they haven't done so, I would ask that they take a moment and hit pause on whatever device they're listening to this and give you a five-star review because that's how you're going to get more guests who can provide more value to your listeners who are downloading this right now. So the least you can do, because you're already on this platform, is to hit pause, give it a five-star review. And if you're willing to do that as a thank you from me on behalf of Roberta, it would be my pleasure to invite you over to my website, which is seantylerfoley.com, and it's spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. If you come over to seantylerfoley.com, you will find all things Tyler there. Right at the top of the page is the link to join endless stages. Please come through the link. Don't just look it up on Facebook because if you look it up on Facebook and join, you won't get all the free stuff. But if you join through the website as my gift to you for giving a five-star review to Roberta, yes. I will give you a free PDF download of The Power to Speak Naked so that you can have a copy to look for without having to buy the book. And then you'll know what it's like. And then if you want to buy the hard copy book, we'll also give you free access to my Drop the Mic Speakers program, which is an online self-paced video series. As a member of Drop the Mic and Endless Stages, Every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern, I come live for 20 minutes to talk about public speaking and give inside tips and tricks on how to be a better speaker, where to find stages, how to find those platforms, where to find those platforms. All of these things I talk about uh, every Tuesday for 20 minutes at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern. Come on over to SeanTylerFoley.com. It'd be my gift to you, but only, only, only... And you have given Roberta a five-star review because you're listening to Speaking and Communicating right now. And if you are, there's a reason we'd love to know what it is. So don't just put the five stars and walk away. Actually let Roberta know what it is about her show that you enjoy so that she can tailor the content to best suit you. And if you'll do that, it'll be my gift to you to get all of those freebies and more. If you come over to Sean
0: Thank you, Sean, Tyler, Foley, for that, and everybody's listening is going to give a five-star review because we all want those benefits. That's right. And let me just test to see how Irish you are. How do you pronounce E O G H A N? Egon. Owen. See, I'm more than you are. You I are. in I, a I was, movie.
1: <laughs> I was trying to, to picture it visually. I was like, EJ. And all I could think of is Ghostbusters because it was filmed up here,
0: so. I saw that in a movie because the girl was an American and she was in Ireland and the guy's t-shirt is written his name at the back and it's E-O-G-H-A-N and she says, like, excuse me, Eogan."
1: <laughs> so, <she was laughs> go in. Yeah, I, I, I have a, a Siobhan. If you were to phonetically pronounce it, it looks like Seoban.
0: See your Mm, Mm, button. Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting. So you have Irish roots.
1: (laughs) I do. It's the dark hair and the blue eyes that give it away.
0: Right. (laughs) Thank you, Tyler. This is Oh, thank you, Roberta.